Let me ask you a question. Have you ever traveled internationally on a mission trip or uh, perhaps just on a vacation or perhaps you were in the military and you uh, were stationed overseas? It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to leave here and to go place someplace very different. Um, in uh, Quite a few years ago now, I spent uh, four months in China, in rural, middle of nowhere, the border of Burma, China. In fact, one day we crossed a river, started talking to some people, and the missionary said, we need to go back across that river right now because we actually ended up in Burma, uh, which was not a very good thing at that time and still probably isn't the greatest thing to just wind up in Burma. But when you travel internationally, it, it opens your eyes that things are different than what you have always known and what you have always experienced and what you have always anticipated, right? Let me, uh, I, I was thinking about some of the things that I experienced in China. You, you go for a week and it's okay, right? You go for a week somewhere, you go on a week mission trip and it's like you get there and by the time things start getting really weird and you get frustrated, it's time to go home. At four months, though, you start to get really frustrated about stuff. You go through, they have phases, right, where at first everything's new and different and exciting, and then you walk around going, you people, what are you thinking? And then you become, can become you know, even resistant and like, they are so dumb the way they do this here. And then usually you start to become acceptant and, and love the people and, and embrace them and say, this, this, is what the, this is what the missionaries taught us to say over and over and over, and that is, different isn't necessarily wrong. <laughs> different isn't necessarily wrong. But when I was in China, I mean, things were just different. The number one thing that you realize that are different are the toilets, okay? Um, they are squatty potties. Chinese, you know, how, you know how in America all the hotels are kind of the same, right? Like the Disney layout for the hotel, you can open a door and you know where things are going to be. In China, it's the same way. And the bathrooms, they, you have a shower, a sink, and the squatty potty. So you can brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, and take a shower all at once. It's, it's, uh, it's something else. I mean, it is uh, quite the layout. In every hotel we would go in, that's the way that they were laid out. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are no forks in China. It is, um, if, you, if you poke a fork in something, it's stabbing it, and it's a cultural tradition, and it's bad. And so everywhere we traveled, I traveled with a fork because I cannot pick up things with a chopstick. Um, you know, again, different is not wrong. We had to keep telling ourselves that crowding, they don't, you know, people in Asian cultures don't know what personal space is. When we flew to China, um, it's a long flight. I, I think it was like 14 hours. It was long, right? And I'm stuck in the middle, and, and I'm a big guy. I was even probably bigger then, and I've got a, a, a little Chinese guy here and a, an older Chinese lady here, and in the middle of the flight, you know, it's through the night, in the middle of the flight, she just like leans over and uses me as a pillow, and I'm like, I don't know if I should push her or if this is culturally, or, but, but everywhere you go, when they stand in line, you're touching, right? It's, it's different. Um, not, just the, um, not just the things that you experience and that you see and, and the systems and things, but one of the things that you see if you travel internationally to, a, to another non-Western culture is the religious atmosphere is very different also, 
right? And so when I was in China, I was highly attuned to this. There were Buddhist temples all over. You see a, you see a Buddhist temple here, and you're like, wow, that's strange. What's that doing here, right? There, it's like if you see a Christian church, they'd be like, wow, that's strange. What's that doing there? Um, there were monks everywhere, Buddhist monks walking around. And the thing that got me, I felt like Paul in Acts, when it says that he walks around Athens and he was disturbed in his spirit because of all of the idols. And when you walk around the streets of China, especially in the rural area, everywhere, on every corner, there is a little, um, a, a little tribute to an ancestor, an incense burning, and maybe a, a sacrifice of a drink or a piece of meat there. And you're like, that's not Right? And you become highly attuned to these things that you go, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. Because you've gotten out of your culture. And then you come home and you think everything here is good and fine. Now what's interesting is when other people come to America from other cultures, have you ever thought about that? So I've got a list here of some of the things that they say, that that other people say when they travel to America that that they experience that they think is really strange. The first thing that came up was what is with all the commercials for lawyers? Right? They're on billboards, they're on mailers, they're on TV, they're everywhere, everywhere is commercials for lawyers. Uh, the second thing that, that they said was drive-throughs everywhere. Everything has a drive-through. You've got to remember, most of the world doesn't have their own vehicle, so the idea of a drive-through is just silly. Most of the world is, is, so, is so congested in population that there's not a place to park all the cars. That's another thing they said is the parking lots are massive. And we have a drive-through from everything. You know, you can drive through and get your meal. You can drive through and get a wedding. You can drive through. Uh, Shoot, I went and picked up our groceries last week by pulling up to Walmart, and they came out and put them in my car for me. (laughs) Everything's a drive through, and that's strange to other cultures. Uh, Along with the the commercials is medical commercials. (laughs) There are medical commercials for everything. And then there's lawyers' commercials for the medical commercials, right? Um. The biggest thing probably that you'll find from people, especially from an Eastern culture, is the individualism of America. We do things alone. Our families are distinct from our larger family units. Um, Who's ever eaten a meal by yourself in a restaurant? I had a professor a few weeks ago, and he's, 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 he's Latino. He's from Mexico, and, and one person went to go eat by themselves, and he said, why would you do that? Food is meant to be enjoyed with others. Like, why would you ever eat alone? It's a very different cultural understanding. Beyond just the environment, though, and, and the things that church culture in America that we're used to is very different to people from other cultures. Some of the observations that you might hear is that the buildings are huge. That the church buildings are huge. The biggest thing that I hear when I talk to others that have come here from other cultures and ask them what they think about the American church is they say, you don't pray. You, you travel to other countries and, and they, they will pray for five, ten minutes at a time. In the American church, if we pray for three minutes, people are getting antsy and bored and they're like, come on. It's very different, isn't it? Another thing that we hear 
is that we make worship for non-Christians. Many of our churches and many of the things that we consider, we actually consider how to shape our worship for people who aren't believers more than shaping the worship for those who are actually coming to worship. That, that hurts, doesn't it? We focus on entertainment rather than worship, and, and I often hear that we're more like a club with members than a family, the way that they're used to church. All of this is, this is how culture works. Culture is that what you know and what you've grown up and what you've come accustomed to and what you've eaten and how you've done things and the way that others do it around you, it's in you and used to you and you, you know it and you like it and you prefer it and, and so it's, it's your culture, it's who you are. And then when you're exposed to something else, you go, wait, wait a minute. So things that you didn't even know that you did or why you did them, all of a sudden you're going, what is this? Why do they do it that way? That's the way culture works. Going on an international mission trip, going traveling international, it, it, it shows us that. Paul says in this text today that you are now, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you now are a citizen of the kingdom. You now belong where Jesus is above, in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. That's where your citizenship is. That's where your affection is. That's where your heart is. That's where you should live. Not like the culture you came from in the world. Not like the culture you came from in the world. Uh, look with me at this text. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. This is God's Word. It says, If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Again, Paul's writing to say, we have a new identity we have new desires. We have a new determination if we are in Christ. He's saying, live in Christ. Don't live in the world, the culture that you knew. Live in Christ. It should make a difference in our lives how we live if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. Amen? So there's three things here that I want us to see that, that Paul kind of outlines. The first is that to live in Christ, if you've become a Christian, to live in Christ, first of all, we have to understand and realize that we have a new identity. We have a new identity, and we see this in verse 1, and we also see this in verse 3. He writes here, and he says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In verse 3, For if you have died... You're, and your life is, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a big question today, how do we identify ourselves? Identity is a, is a huge thing. It's part of that individualism of being an American. We all want to be unique. We all want to identify with different things. And there's the, a world out here of advertising and, and things that try to make us identify with that because they want to sell you things according to your identity, so, so you, we identify ourselves many different ways. One way is just your name. What's your last name? It says something about you. I'm a Wilson. 
right? That's who I came from. Where are you from? That says something about you. I'm a Midwesterner, born in the Midwest in Kansas City. I lived there until I was 18, and then I became kind of a Southerner. (laughs) My wife's influence on me. And now I'm in the deep south, right? The deep, deep south. I think that's what we should call Florida. It's the deep, deep south. You have all of these identities. We not only identify ourselves by our names and where we're from, where we live, our profession. If somebody asks you, uh, who are you? Tell me about yourself. One of the first things you might come up and say is, I retired as this, or I'm a pastor. We define ourselves by our activities. We define ourselves by our activities. I'm a biker, right? I'm a fisherman, I'm a, and, and again, with these activities, not only do we define ourselves, but then they've got magazines for it, they've got clothing for it, they've got accessories for it, and sometimes we take on the identities so much that we begin to wear those things that are our uh, 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 hobbies, and they become how we identify ourselves and who we think we are. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing all the different ways that we identify ourselves. And now we live in a day and an age where the idea of identifying and accepting another's identity of what they project about themselves has become so important, right? In so many ways. Well, Paul writes here and says, you have an identity above all other identities, and it is you are in Christ. You are His. It should define you First and foremost, if you're a believer, it should define you that you're in Jesus beyond what anything else you might see of yourself. I'm a Wilson, but I'm a follower of Jesus first. I'm a pastor, but I'm a follower of Jesus first. I really do like fishing, but I'm a follower of Jesus first. Do we identify ourselves? Do we understand that identity? And so there's a few things here that he says that we are to identify ourselves. The first thing is, is that you are to identify yourself that you have died to sin and you have been united in Christ. You have died to sin and you've been united in Christ. This is a topic that that Paul has been talking about through Colossians. It's not the first time that he brings it up. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says that we were buried with Christ in baptism. In verse 20 of chapter 2, he says we died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. And now in verse 3, he says, for you have died. He wants us to understand without a doubt that something has happened, that the death of Jesus Christ and our death, when we came to him and said, I am dying to sin, I want to follow you, I want to, I repent of my sin, I want to trust in you, I want a new life, is saying that we have died to the old life. Many of you are still living that old life. You've said, I want to die to it, but I want to hold on to it. That's the struggle that we have. It's the struggle that we have. That's the the point of what chapter 3 is going to be about. The point is, is you're living like you're part of that old culture. You're living like you still only belong to the world and to the earth and to to the lowly things and to sinfulness. But in reality, you're now seated with Jesus. Live like you're there. That's the point. You've died. Don't you know that you've died? Don't you know it's not fitting for you to to participate in that sin because you've died? Don't you know it's not fitting for you to define yourself by something that is antithetical to Jesus as a follower of him because you've died? You've died. And not only have you died, but you have died and now you are in Christ. You are in Christ. That should make an influence on how we think about ourselves. Amen? 
I, I, we believe as Baptists that you are not saved because of your parents' faith. We believe that, that you're not saved just because you've come into a church. We believe that salvation is through personal knowledge, acceptance, and love of Jesus. Of saying, I want to follow Jesus. I, I see who He is through the Scripture. In my heart, the Holy Spirit has convicted me of my sin and my need to follow Him. And I want to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. We've said, I want to die to this old world. I want to die to this brokenness. I want to die to this hurt. I want to die to this sinfulness. I want to die to this world that I've only known up until this point because I want the treasure that's found in the kingdom. That's what it means to be saved. And Paul's reminding us, you've died. Don't live there. Don't live there. Not only does he say that we've died, but he says we've been raised up with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Again, this is a, 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 a concept that has been going through Colossians in 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through the working, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You were raised you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your faith, and he made you alive together in him, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions. What an amazing passage. Paul says, remember, you died. Picture of baptism, biblical baptism that the Bible says is, is immersion, is that you go down into the water. It's a picture of your death, of your burial with Christ. But you don't stay there as Jesus didn't stay there. Jesus was buried, but he raised from the dead, and so in him we are also have died to ourselves, we have died to our sin, and we have been raised to walk in newness of life. Don't live like you stayed dead. That's Paul's point. You've been raised. There's a new life. There's a new way to live. That old life, that old citizenship, that old culture that was all that you knew is dead to you now. Don't live there. Live like you're alive. Live in Christ. He goes on and he uses this picture also in verse, the, the, the second part of verse 3. He says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's a complicated passage, actually. It's one of those ones you start looking at commentaries and they go, whoa, you scratch your head. But the point of it is this. It's actually a very simple point. You're secure. You're, you're hidden in Christ with God. If I took a piece of paper and I put it in my Bible and, and I left my Bible here and I went home this afternoon, which I do sometimes, and I go, oh my goodness, where's my piece of paper? It's with my Bible. If I put it in there and I dropped my Bible, I also dropped the paper. If I lost my Bible with a piece of paper and I lost the paper, Paul's saying, you are in Christ, in God. You're accepted by Him. You're held by Him. You're, you're firm by Him. You are so intermingled, this relationship, this salvation with Christ. Live like it. Where's Jesus? What's he going to say? Where's Jesus? Above. 
right? This, this, this passage is very important for you to understand this concept of above and below. Below is the earth. Below is your culture. Below is, is where you started. Below is sinfulness. Below is not where Jesus is. Above is where Jesus is. He's been risen to the right hand of the Father where he reigns supreme, where we also, because we are in him, hidden in him, in God, we are above. And so Paul's saying, don't live below, live above. Live for the above. Live like it is in heaven because that's where you are seated with Christ. This is a, this is a theological concept that has the most uh, intellectual name ever. It's called already but not yet. <laughs> already but not yet. And Paul writes in many different ways of this already but not yet stature and status of those of us who are believers. There's a sense that right now you are so secure in your salvation that you can consider yourself a part of heaven. That's the already. But the not yet is we're still here on earth. We still have to struggle with this sinfulness. We still have to fight this sin. That's what Paul's going to talk about in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you. That's where he's going. Because you're seated in heaven, because you're already with Christ, don't live down here. Live for the kingdom. Man, wouldn't it be easier if when we became a Christian, there was no more sin to tempt us? Like just, okay, I'm up here. But see, God uses this process. It's called sanctification. He uses this process to take us. We were, we were stuck in this culture, and, and, and some of you still struggle with the things down here. And I understand that. I struggle with the things down here. Paul's going to give us a list of things that we struggle with down here. But he says, you don't have to live down there. Because if you know Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Savior, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him and say, I want to follow you and be your disciple, and the Holy Spirit has worked in you and changed you and brought you to salvation then you have the power to overcome what is down here. Trust in Him, set your heart on the things above, and seek and serve God now. It leads us to the second point. We should have a new desire. We should have a new desire. We have a new identity. We're in Christ. We're no longer a part of just this world. We know something better now. We've traveled, right? We've seen the other culture. We have an experience for it. We want it. We desire it. He says, don't just live here. Live in your new identity. And the second is live according to a new desire. First thing he says is to set your heart on things above. Look at verse 1, the second part. It says, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. In verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. See, you have above and below. Set your minds above. Seek the things that are above. How will it be in heaven? That's what I want to do. Paul's going to give a whole list of sins, of, of earthly things, sexual immorality, purity, uh, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness. I, all of these things that are temptations for us because we've learned them down here in this culture. This brokenness and this sinfulness that, 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 that causes us to want to desire these things that are against what God wants for us. Paul says, live today like it'll be in heaven. Seek those things. Don't seek the way it is on the earth. Some of you say, yeah, I know it isn't the best, but everybody's doing it. Paul says, 
Don't live the way that it's down here. Seek the things that are above. How will it be above? That's what's eternal. That's what should be our pursuit. That's what should be our desire. Not to be carried along by the flesh. To say that we, we love Jesus... We're in Christ. We're hidden with Christ and God who's seated above at the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God, but I'm going to wallow in my sin still while I'm down here. I'm going to give in to sexual immorality and impurity. Paul says that's not fitting for somebody who's up here, who's in Christ. Put that to death. We should have a new desire. You know, before you became a Christian, there probably wasn't much of a desire for the things of God. Some of you might be here right here, right now. Church is a drudgery. You're dragged there. You don't care. You would rather be doing anything else. You'd rather be getting a root canal right now than listening to me. It's all right. I've been there. You don't have a desire for it. You don't care about it. So what if he's teaching the Word of God? That shows that you're a citizen only here of the earth. That Jesus hasn't worked in you. Whether, no matter what you believe about God, no matter, you might have an understanding of who He is, you might think that you're a Christian, but if you have no desire for the things of God, if you have no desire to live according to the, the will of God, if you have no desire to glorify God in your life, I'm sorry, friend, but you might have prayed a prayer, you might have walked forward, you might have shaken a preacher's hand, you might have done something you think got you into the kingdom, but you're not there, you're living down here. And that might be hard for you to hear, but it doesn't make it untrue. The Bible says that if we love Jesus, we will love Him. We will have a desire. There will be evidence in our life of fruit and growth and the working of God. We will be changed. If you think you followed Jesus, but there's no change in your life, and you're just happy to live down here in all the sinfulness that you can enjoy, friend, you're not seated above in the kingdom of heaven. You need to trust in Jesus. We should have a desire to live according to the new life. God has given you new life in Christ. I don't want to live in the brokenness that I remember. I don't want to look around at this world and see individuals who are caught in, in sexual immorality and lustfulness and passions and desire of just money. I, I, I don't want to be someone who's rich and, and sold my soul so that I can have everything in this world. I want what heaven promises. I want the things that are above. I don't want what is here. I've seen the treasure that awaits. Matthew 24, there's a, a small parable. It's one of my favorites. It says that the kingdom of God, what we're talking about, where Christ is seated, that which is up here, is like a treasure. And a man saw it. And he went, he saw, it's a treasure buried in a field, and he saw it. And he went back and he sold everything that he owned. He got rid of everything in his life, everything that was precious to him, everything that was, sell it all! Because I want to buy that field and have that treasure. Live up here. Live up here. 
third thing that it says that we should have. We should have a new identity. We live, accord- we live in Christ by living according to our new identity, by, by living and fulfilling our new desires, not our old desires. Next week we'll see more of that. But we also live in Christ by having a new determination. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What an amazing truth. Right now, Christ is our life. He will return. One day he will return. The Bible tells us that one day he is going to come back. What, what is done, it's not finished what he's going to do on the earth. He's going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. And there's a whole lot of things and charts and graphs. And we can argue and do all kinds of different things about that. But the point of it is, is that you should have a hope if you're a believer that Jesus is going to come back. And when he does, I'm going to be with him. He's going to set everything right. And one day, even on this earth, even in this culture that we know, even in, in this place, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and God's going to make it the way that it is in the kingdom. So start living like it now. Why wait? That's the point. We should have a new determination. Our determination shouldn't be all about me. I'm number one. Let's do what's best for me. I want to get ahead. I want to be successful. I want to take advantage of whoever I want to. I want to be a predator on others. That's, that's lowly. That's the earth. That's the sinfulness. That's our culture that we came through. That is how you grew up and the world telling you that you are the greatest thing ever. Live for you and, and you be number one. And it's hard to fight that, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. But if we're seated with Christ in the new kingdom, if we've been bought by Him, then we should have a new determination. My determination is not me. My determination is I want to glorify God because I'm going to be with Him in the kingdom. I am in Christ. I am already seated there. That is my place. That is my residence. I want to live for that today. I've died to this, and I want to live to this. It's a new determination. I want to glorify God. I want my life to count for the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean necessarily that people are going to write books about you. We're going to find when we get there that some of the greatest saints in heaven are the ones whose names we've never known. But are we living our life to the glory of God? Are you able to hold out a blank check and say, God, no matter what it is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fill it in. I'm not going to hold anything back because I'm not living for me. I want to live for you. That's a new way to think, isn't it? That's not the way our old address taught us to think. That's the way we think because we're in the kingdom. Paul begins this chapter, if you look at at verse 1, and he asks a question. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. He says, are you a Christian? That's the question that he asks. I want to ask you that that, that question. Are you a Christian? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you believed on Him as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sinfulness? Have you repented of being a citizen of, of this culture, this sinfulness, and desired to trust in Him and to live for Him? Because if you have... He says, then you are to seek the things that are above. You're to seek the things that are above. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. 
and you're in him now. That's your home. That's your place. That's the new culture that you're to live in. If we've trusted in him, we should set our minds on the things that are above, not on the earth, because that's not our residence any longer. Yeah, we're still here for a little bit, but our true home is heaven. Our true home is with the Lord. If you're a Christian, you no longer are to live as if you only know the culture of this sinful world. You are to live in Christ as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Are you doing that? Do you realize that you have a new identity? Do you realize that you should have new desires to seek the things of God, to know Him, to have a love for Him, to to participate and be a part of the people of God and the worship of the church? Do you have a new determination? I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I want to live to the glory of God. I want my life to count for the kingdom. I'm already there, so I might as well start living like I'm there. verse also says that we have a new destiny. We will be saved. We are in Christ, in God. It is secure. We can begin living like that. We can can sell everything because we know that our treasure is in heaven. We know that we will be there and that we will be with Him. Friends, as we close this morning, I want to challenge you with with this. Are, Are you a Christian? Are you genuinely a believer? If you're not confident on that, I would love for you to have the the boldness to to talk with me. You can come forward. We're going to have an invitation. Or you can just say, hey, I would like to meet with you or talk with you. I have questions. I, I want you to be confident. I want you to understand. I want you to love the kingdom of God more than the kingdom of this world. Perhaps you know that you're a believer and you know that there's areas in your life that you're not living it. It's okay. We all should have a response like that. If the Spirit of God has convicted you today of something in your life that you know is wrong, you know, hey, I'm a part of that kingdom, but I'm living down here. I need, I, I need to change this. Today, would you be motivated by His Spirit Pray to act on that. Don't leave this place convicted by the Word of God and moved by the Spirit of God and walk out these doors and continue to live down here. Today could be an incredible day in your life. Today could be a day that years from now you would have a testimony that you would say, I struggled with this. I lived down here. But because I'm in Christ, I made that change. And now that no longer has power over me because I am alive in Christ Friends, all of us, if we're in Christ, should have things like that in our life that we say, this used to be this struggle for me. This used to, this, I used to live down here, but I decided that I'm going to live for Christ because that's what's fitting and that's what's right. Today, what is it that God is showing you that you need to put it to death and you need to start living for the kingdom? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word, the simplicity of it, yet the power that is here. Lord, this is a hard message. It's difficult for us to hear because we're so used to this culture 
that we know, this worldliness, that's, that's all that we're accustomed to, and it still surrounds us. And even though we want to honor you and we want to be citizens of the kingdom, Father, it's, it's a struggle, and you know that. I pray that you would give us the ability to live for what's above, where we are, where we're seated with Christ. Today, Father, I don't know what each individual here is dealing with. I don't know their struggles. I don't know the hindrances that are holding them back. I don't, I don't know, Father, what that is, but you do. Father, I pray that you would be working in their hearts through your word. Lord, would you give us the boldness today to begin to live for the kingdom in whatever that area is, whatever that thing is, whatever that sin is? Would we be willing today to draw a line in the sand and to say, I'm going to start living for the kingdom I'm going to live for the kingdom because that's where I am. That's my home. Father, if today you're convicting individuals about the fact that they don't know you, would you, through the love of your Spirit, continue to draw them, give them the boldness to seek to know you, to place their life in you, to follow you, Father, whatever that next step may be. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's becoming a member of the church, Father. Would you guide us that we might honor you? That is our desire and that is our goal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.